Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 34 of Nutanix Weekly. I'm your host, Andy Whiteside. I've got the clueless Harvey Green. Harvey, how's it going? Uh, pretty good, pending whatever's going to happen after me finding out why I'm clueless. So Harvey has no idea what topic we're going to cover because he's a few minutes late, and uh, Jira and I picked it, and then we didn't because he wasn't in the Zoom in time. He didn't get the chat uh, piece, so he's kind of in the dark. But that's okay. You'll be, you'll be fine. Just just know that in Jira we trust, and uh, just hold on for the ride. I think that's what they call a first mover advantage, right? What is it called? Okay. (laughs) First mover advantage? Is that that how that works? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I I still lose most of the time even when I have first move. And that includes playing chess with my 12-year-old. So uh, (laughs) it is what it is. So uh, Jaira Cox is with us. Jaira, we were just having this uh, off-camera, off-recording conversation around why it's so hard for VARs. Uh, to just go recommend good solutions to good customers with good technologies, good vendors, and grow. Uh, you know, I think we're just a bunch of sales engineers or engineers that that don't understand why just doing good business isn't isn't good enough. Um, and we were just kind of chatting through that. I, I figured I'd bring it up here. Yeah, uh, it is. It should be. It's universal, right? To it's tough to not know what you don't know, and you know if that if that includes like. I don't know why I should pay for design services for this new cluster, for this new app, for this migration that I want to take on. Well, then it's going to hard. I'm going to have a hard time seeing value in buying those design services and making sure my design looks right before I go buy the infrastructure to run that application on. Yeah. And that and just seems like a bad idea to me to go through something without going through design and architecture first. It's yeah, but you guys, but you guys have all been responsible for running systems at some point. You know that you need to evaluate and you need to design, you need to pilot. But how many of your projects really do all those things? Um, it depends on whether or not I'm in charge of that project. <laughs> yeah, and it depends on. I mean, so so much of so much of that kind of effort, right, is around is around reducing risk, right? Because that's that's ultimately, I think, what it comes down to is we think it's X, but what if we are wrong? We think this is Y, but what if we are wrong? And and how will we handle that circumstance if we are wrong? Okay, I know that I need to add a node. I need that I need this more capacity, this much more throughput. Um, you know, it's all about, it's the multi-level thinking about how do I uh, handle all these outcomes and whether they're likely or not likely. Right. And, it's, and you know, it's it's more than we do for. I mean, now we're just totally riffing in any random direction. It's more than we do for almost any part of our personal life, right? Like we all hopped in this meeting. We've all had a successful work day, I would assume, um, without <laughs> planning for nine levels of contingency, right? We didn't have a design session before we hopped onto this call. I mean, you know, I've never done a design session for any house I've bought or car that I've I've purchased. Um, you know, so it does feel it is a different. To kind of kind of motion to go through, right? For be like, oh, you want to run what ginormous legacy enterprise app on prem, and you might even do it today, but you also want to do an upgrade when you migrate. Here's why that design session will clarify a lot of all the inputs that we need to know for this complicated system. But Jira, that's the house examples. Have you ever built a house from scratch, either yourself or through a builder? Uh, not all the way from groundbreaking. Yeah. 
but if you do, like you have the design center, you have the plans, you have lots of things that go along with consulting methodologies and, and it does apply. And then if you're buying one that's, uh, you know, an existing house, you already know what it's going to look like. And then you buy it and then maybe make a few slight adjustments. You probably do it, but it's just so natural to do it when you're buying a house. But, you know, a, a, a sysadmin or an IT manager or director buying half a million dollars worth of hardware thinks he needs to skip all that. Right, right. I mean, like, you know, your general contractor doesn't ask you, what's your square footage requirement? And what if you need 50% more square footage in three years? How are you going to solve that? You know, um, right. it's a different sort of but, question asking directive than you, than you encounter in your personal life. I mean, but all those things are better with hyperconverge and Nutanix. I mean, that's, those are the things that you guys help solve, but it's still not perfect. And you can still get it drastically wrong if you don't come close to measure three times cut once. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, don't you think house buying House buying like the almost the first cut, right? Your first, your high level filter criteria is price, right? Almost always, because there's there's almost nothing else like oh, but this feature is nice, oh, but that's nice that like magically lets you afford double the mortgage per month. Um, so like if if price is your high level filter, that's fine. And then you think of houses, like okay, what if I want to spend whatever hundred thousand dollars on a house, mythical, right? But at least <laughs> we'll go super low here. Then there's only a couple of different ways that a hundred thousand dollar house can be shaped. Buying enterprise IT, buying a half million dollars of infrastructure of any vendor, right? Not just Nutanix. There's like 25 different ways that that can come out, and only a handful of them are going to really run your application with the performance that you need to, right? Like, did you buy a backup cluster but you want to run production on it, right? Did you buy a crazy fast cluster? Oh, but you forgot that you actually need more storage than you planned on. Like, it's just lots of different inputs that you can um, that are worth you know hammering out on the front end. Yeah, the key there is you're highlighting that it's the uh, it's the resource load that you're going to need. That's you know that's not that's not negotiable. You're either going to need it or you're not. The application is going to determine that, um, and you're going to need it. And so you have to buy into that as you make your decisions versus you know just choosing to live with less square footage or uh, a more expensive mortgage. Yeah, or on a cheaper side of town. All right. Well, Harvey, uh, I should have done a better job revealing to you, but uh, Jaira and I have decided we're going to cover this blog um, from, from October 26th. Uh, is that Mark Levy, I think is the name. Uh, uh, and it, Mark Lobby. Yep. Mark Lobby. Sorry. Uh, totally sorry. Uh, getting started with Red Hat OpenShift on Nutanix uh, HCI, Hyperconverged Infrastructure. Uh, I've been wanting to talk to you guys about Red Hat for a while now, so it's, this aligns really well with a topic I wanted to cover. And so Harvey, you're just along for the ride. I'll take it. I'll figure out how to add value in some way. <laughs> well, this one's likely to be the uh, the gyro show, but that's good because that's why we're here and why I'm sure a lot of people listen. In fact, I know based on talking to a lot of Nutanix folks, they like they like to listen because of what gyro might say. Well, fine then, I'll shut up since I'm just <laughs> chopped liver, old baloney. <laughs> <laughs> so much, so much pressure to deliver. Um, the uh, uh, no, I think it's, I think it's fun content, right? It's, it's, it's a wonderful blend of how do we, I mean, like we're talking about, how do we use uh, infrastructure and capabilities to run what the business cares about, which is the applications, right, and do it in a in a uh, efficient fashion. So, so Jira, what is this whole Red Hat OpenShift on Nutanix HCI? What's the idea? What's the premise? Why why did this happen? So, hmm. so 
back when the earth was young, right? We started building servers. No, uh, the, uh, the why, no, the why is, is, uh, actually I think we've said this, uh, from our next conference, right? The why is customers, right? Saying, uh, I love Nutanix. I want to run my apps on Nutanix. I love Red Hat and I love OpenShift, right? And OpenShift being Red Hat's, um, you know, supported, uh, ecosystem and build and branch and offering for, uh, Kubernetes, right? So this is a way of packaging and running my applications, um, in production, uh, and it's, I think, entirely hardware agnostic, right? It's infrastructure infrastructure agnostic. You can run OpenShift in the cloud, uh, on-prem, hybrid, multi-cloud, like we run uh, all of that. And so if customers want Nutanix for their infrastructure and they want OpenShift for their application delivery model, then they really want uh, Nutanix and Red Hat playing nicely together, right? And so we've solved that, that, that with this um, uh, alliance and partnership, now we can say those are two great tastes that taste great together. So that's that's the why, right? Is is really beginning and end customer demand. It really so wasn't a technical is, problem to solve. This is the idea that we're going to be able to run OpenShift on on-premises Nutanix uh, HCI solutions. Mm-hmm. Yep, really Nutanix anywhere. Technically, to be fair, like even there's no reason you couldn't run it on clusters as well. So uh, bring your hardware as a service model, run AOS on it, and that'll also run OpenShift very well. So this is really a matter of um, customers who need, who want Kubernetes through uh, Red Hat, but want Nutanix to be a layer between the on-premises hardware or the in-the-cloud technologies, so that it's kind of universal for them, totally. uh, no matter where they're at. Yeah, totally. Our customers that even, um, you know, there's a great, a huge amount that have already deployed their OpenShift. Right, they're already somewhere down the path with their OpenShift journey. Of this is how we're going to run our next-gen cloud-native applications in production. And so that ability to say, you already run uh, run OpenShift, here's why Nutanix uh, runs OpenShift very well and why it's an easy transition for you, but here's what you get out of that, right? Everything we've talked about from a infrastructure management, planning, acquisition, uh, lifecycle model, that can now apply to your OpenShift stack as well. Yeah. And I'm looking at the, uh, the, the, the visual here. Uh, you still have AOS in play, of course, uh, AHV, and then there's Nutanix files and then OpenShift is somewhere higher up on the stack. So OpenShift is a container, a Kubernetes uh, type container. Is that what it is? OpenShift is, yeah, the, the Kubernetes distribution, right, from Red Hat. So they okay. um, they can publish it. They can support it, right? You can call them and say, hey, I, I, I see this or I have a question about that. And it's, of course, uh, a more supported, probably more rough edges sanded off than forging your own, blazing your own Kubernetes trail, right? From, a, you know, building from source, right? Deploying from, from repos, right? It's like, well, no, I just want to, um, you know, get my, get my distribution from Red Hat, know it's supported top to bottom um, mm-hmm. or, or, or bolt it onto existing OpenShift installation I might have in my, in my environment, right? I can build new pods on Nutanix that would be part of my enterprise app fabric that might already exist. So this is starting to make more sense to me, right? So you listen to, to VMware, they've got their uh, Kubernetes uh, play. Uh, this is where Nutanix, instead of creating your own, is just partnering with you know, best of breed Red Hat um, and, and allowing Nutanix to be part of the Red Hat story and vice versa. Like you said a while ago, two, two great tastes taste better together. Um, that, that's all this really is, right? Just two best of breed products agreeing to be partners with each other. Yeah, well, actually, we, we even do have our own, right? We launched Carbon a couple of years ago. Um, 
the it's more about the you know what's the what's your right use case if you're in that i want the enterprise grade give me the full uh the full ecosystem the full stack from like my uh, build pipeline, my repository of where do my containers live, whether I'm waiting to get deployed, uh, load balancers, you know, ingress managers, that can all be supported by one full OpenShift stack. Whereas our carbon offering was, it's literally just the Kubernetes leg in the stool and lots of other things to build around it. So, so it's more of, it's even more enterprise ready, even more turnkey, uh, right? You have the full developer pipeline ready to go versus, you know, Here's a foundation you can go build. Go build your house on top of it, right? So, more along the lines of my one of my favorite topics, flexibility. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, and then, you know, part of the why Nutanix, right, would be that persistent storage, right? There's very few applications in the world that you want to run that don't need to ever store data, right? Like, they, for the most part, most applications want to store data and then retrieve it later on. Um, and the flexibility that we bring there, offering with either Nutanix files for SMB and NFS uh, connectivity, uh, Nutanix objects for S3 or volumes for block storage, whatever you know language your application wants to speak, uh, whatever its its uh, parlance for storage is, like we've got that. You know, it's not it's not uncommon for us to be having an application centric conversation. It comes back to what Nutanix is doing with with files as a, a way to, as you said, hold the data store and the state of storage for the data, which you never get away in an application world without having some level of data that needs to be persistent. Yeah, I can't think of any. Yeah, a lot of times I ask, uh, you know, what's the most important thing in IT? It ends up, I like to think that it's applications and every once in a while somebody hits me with data and like, well, you can't have one without the other. So that's not wrong. Yeah. True story. So, Dara, is this, uh, is this Nutanix telling this story and, and Red Hat just kind of lets it happen or are both companies truly going to market together with Better Together? I, I can only speak for for my little uh, piece of the world, but yeah, I think we're, we're working very well with Red Hat teams. Um, you know, with them being the preferred uh, Kubernetes solution and us being the preferred platform. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, guys, give me an example of some of the more popular apps that are happening through containers. Like, I don't. I, I live in a virtual machine world. A lot of desktop virtualization. A lot of x86 applications. What what am, what am I not seeing that's happening all around me that I don't realize is happening in containers? Well, so one one whole compartment there, right, is going to be companies' homegrown apps, right? If it's an app that you write, develop internally, you then have to, you know, productize it in production. You know, this is where the whole DevOps things come into play around. We don't just want people over here that write the app, people over there that have to run the app, but it's two different teams, right? If that was one team that, owns the pain of supporting it, but then can also write it in more secure and optimized ways on the front end that can help it get deployed more easily. Um, you know, internal apps, those will never make headlines rarely, or they sh shouldn't make headlines. Um, I hope not, right? In a, at least in a marketing sense, right? Around adoption, right? Because it's like, it's a single customer application, right? You wrote it, you run it, and it runs your business and you make money off of it, hopefully. Um, so that part, like, right, we will we'll never get a very bright light on from a, a, a glitzy marketing standpoint of what apps do I want to containerize? Because uh, your apps are, they're your apps. Does that, does that part make sense? No, it does. It does. And that's why living in the world I live in, I don't see a lot of containers. 
but I'm usually working with off the shelf or cloud as a service technologies, not internal corporate written apps. Right. Yeah, for sure. Right. So that's, you know, often there, there are flavors to this conversation around, you know, if it's the, the IT director or the IT leader saying, I have to provide, I need to, I need to provide containerized, you know, compute platforms and containerized storage to my app teams, right. As they're doing their jobs, um, you know, let's talk through public versus private versus hybrid multi-cloud versus, you know, native cloud itself, um, where, where Kubernetes was born, um, what makes the most sense for, for my needs, right? That's where, you know, we're solving problems, helping the IT infrastructure team empower the app team and therefore the business. Um, but, but often the apps themselves can be a bit abstracted from us. Um, in general though, right? Like a almost somewhat dumber, more simplified answer is, um, kind of whatever runs as an app, like the containers that run here at my house, you know, there's load balancers, there's some web servers, there's like some databases, not your traditional, you know, Oracle SQL enterprise databases, right? Like Postgres, like MySQL, um, stuff like Cockroach. Um, so CouchDB, like a lot of your next gen applications are much more friendly at being containerized and, and containerized packaging. Hey, Harvey, what's he talking about? I don't know. Jarvis over there talking about cockroaches. His propeller started spinning, and he just took off. I mean, if you're if you're going to take away one thing, you shouldn't have cockroaches in your couch, right? I think we can all agree on that. <laughs> Let me tell you about the applications that run at my house. <laughs> cockroaches and couches and MySQL databases. Yeah. You know, he- you got cockroaches and couches. You need to run the RAID application. <laughs> <laughs> no, Nutanix is an anti. There's a no RAID platform. No, no, um, the RAID application. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, um, no wonder people love listening to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the um, uh, you know, you could run, you can run VPN, you know, uh, concentrators at your house. Yeah. You can run, you know, what typical home application, uh, you know, like a Plex server runs, as a, runs as a container, right? So that's, that's the application vendor's choice to publish it in a containerized fashion, right? You can install Plex on Linux, Plex on Windows, Plex as a container. It's just another distribution mechanism for them. Yeah, no, we, I, I know, I just haven't done any of it. I just haven't run across the need to yet, uh, but I'm sure it's coming in everybody's world uh, to do it as a container. Why, I mean, why would you install it if you could just lay down a container and turn it on? Well, the need comes in, the need comes in at scale, right? Like traditionally last, if you can call it tradition, last 10, 15 years of IT, right? We have deployed an OS underneath virtually every app, right? As, as servers got too big, and and the physical server, you just couldn't buy them small enough for your application, right? I couldn't buy a physical rack mount server small enough to be a domain controller. It's overkill, right? My my domain controller would be like two percent busy on a on a heavy day. Um, so I've got to do other things with that hardware. Enter virtualization. Virtualization means I need shared storage so I can migrate and have high availability. Yep. Um, as long as my hardware economics are staying way way out in the distance, then I don't really care about building an OS and virtualizing it beneath every single application. But when I look, when I step back and I look at my cluster and I say, well, this whole cluster is running like 40% um, my OS and 60% my apps, or maybe, maybe vice versa, depending on, you know, how your how, how fat your OS is or like what, uh, I don't know, in guest monitoring agents you're running, then, uh, then you might think, well, how do I get rid of that 40%, right? If I can run more OS instances, fewer OS instances, but more app instances, 
then my blend is going in the right direction, right? So it's all about, you know, in some ways constraint, right? Is always the uh, the catalyst for that kind of innovation. And, and everything we're talking about here is containers. And it just so happens that Kubernetes is the containering system that won out, right? Yeah, I mean, it definitely got way broader adoption. Um, and just me talking here from my anecdotal viewpoint, uh, way broader adoption than uh, like Docker Swarm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it never hurts to be, you know, Google's chosen platform and Google, you know, really Google developed, right? Because that's going to give you a, a, a huge leg up in the open source community. Is this the uh, Blu-ray versus LaserDisc conversation? <laughs> no. Uh, Blu-ray versus... Uh, HD DVD. HD DVD, that's right. Yeah. Right. Harvey, you just you just compared like something from five years ago to something twenty five years ago or something, uh, which is okay. which is common, right? Like typically, that's what we would all hear, right? Is I want VMs or containers, and it's like, well, you probably want both. In fact, I probably want containers in your VMs, um, but they're gonna do they're gonna do different things, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you're talking to a kid who had who had Laserdisc. Like the only kid in town had Laserdisc. I had four movies. That's it. <laughs> And then, and then after that, we had Betamax instead of VHS. So I had 20 movies and everybody else got to go to the movie store and pick any movie they wanted. But mine were high quality. Mine were higher quality than theirs. But I had 20. That was it. Well, I'm, I am happy for that childhood experience for you because it taught you to pick the right technology later in life. <laughs> so, so Harvey, our kids that are similar ages, would, would your kids know what to do with a DVD if you handed it to them? Probably not. <laughs> same, same. There's nothing in my living room that you could put that in and they have never experienced that workflow in their life. And I love it, right? Because I've never found peanut butter in, you know, a Blu-ray, <laughs> you know, player slot that it shouldn't be in. Think about how fast things move. My oldest kids are 19. We had VHS tapes. Like we didn't even have DVDs when they were first. Right. We had them, but they, they weren't widely used or it wasn't in your car. You had a VHS player in your car. And now, now you just hand them a device and they just pick whatever movie they want real time. Yeah. It's, it's wild how like you could buy you know, like for like a minivan, you could buy an iPad for every seat in the minivan and mm-hmm. still save money over like the quote in-car entertainment system. And you actually have fewer fights. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, that's just my kids maybe, <laughs> but uh, um, well, I used to have to pull over and rewind the tape halfway to the beach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The struggle, the struggle was real. Um, as we're moving and packing up here, uh, you know, a DVD fell out from behind some boxes on a shelf. And it's like, oh, this is still on my list of things to digitize. But it's like, where do I start digitizing a VHS tape? <laughs> mm-hmm. This is going to be, this is, this is going to stay on the, on the to-do list for a little while here. You got to pay somebody just to do it. That's, that's over. <laughs> if you haven't done it by now, you're not getting that. One I mean, I, I'm with you and I don't think my wife listens to this podcast, but we're going to keep that between you and I. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that's over. <laughs> no, I'm not going to give that. I've got, a, I've got a um, a bin full of DVDs over here that we burned along the way. I've got to somehow get the. I'm waiting to buy a massive computer here at home. I can put them all on here and then upload them to the cloud. And hopefully, when I'm dead and gone, somebody will look at them at least once after all that effort. Sorry, <laughs> that's, that's the hope. I mean, good luck. In my opinion, if it's home movies, I think that cloud is YouTube, right? And and if if they're not on that, they probably will never get watched. Facebook. Facebook. Hey, here's my here's my S three bucket of videos, kids. Here's the here's the here's the public private access keys. 
Yeah. Well, I think we've got this one covered. I think Harvey uh, Jared proposed too, uh, one that we'll leave for next week. I think it was flow related. Um, pretty exciting, actually. Yes. Um, but, like uh, we, chose, we chose to go Red Hat um, because I was almost employee number five at Red Hat. Kind of, sort of. I screwed that up. Big, big mistake back in the day. Uh, so you anyway. didn't learn how to choose the best technology. <laughs> Oh, I've made tons of mistakes. That's, okay. that's how you, that's how you uh, live, I guess. I don't want to say learn. Right. We can, uh, we can learn right. from both of them. It's fine. Um, yes. The, um, and this is going to be uh, over some cadence that I am not uh, privy to, uh, a series actually of like getting Red Hat up and running on, on uh, getting open, uh, Cooper, uh, OpenShift up and running on Nutanix. So we'll probably revisit this uh, later on when part two of this blog series drops. Yeah, love to do it. Maybe we can actually record a record a session we're actually walking through. I assume it doesn't take extremely long. We'll find out. We'll find All right, out. guys. We'll, That's what we'll I mean, don't, spoilers for yeah for part two. Thanks for jumping on and doing this on a Monday afternoon, and uh, I'll get it up and posted, and we'll move on to next week's topic. Sounds, Sounds good. good. We'll do it. All right, guys. Thanks.